welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to John Borthwick, who is the minister at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in downtown Guelph. For this first new podcast of 2023, I wanted to clear the air. You see, in the process of going nonstop, 52 weeks a year, on all the issues that come at us on a regular basis, how often do we just stop and take stock? I had that thought recently, and it's something I think anyone that stays on top of current events and or takes part in community activism thinks about. How can I possibly keep up with everything and not get caught in the undertow? How do we overcome that feeling that we're not having the impact we hope we're having and stay hopeful in an ever-changing world? Reverend Borthwick, a man of the cloth and a man of the town, is going to help us tackle these questions as starting fresh is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Now let's stop and think about where we are here on Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. The pandemic isn't over, and the World Health Organization just reaffirmed that it isn't over, but we're pretty much acting like it's over, despite the dangers that still exist, especially for people who are older and or immunocompromised. We have issues with homelessness and mental health, but despite a community-wide response, it feels like we're still only making a drop in the bucket. It seems like the government doesn't listen, and it seems like big business doesn't care. In the meantime, we're faced with economic inequality, social inequality, environmental degradation, and, oh yeah, the Nazis are back. No wonder we have a mental health crisis. It's easy to get stuck in this feeling of malaise. Our public participation is down, and we can see that using a number of benchmarks, including the pitiful low voter turnout in the two elections last year, or how nonprofits and charities from a wide number of industries have seen a dramatic decrease in the number of available volunteers. Much of this is in response to COVID-19 and how people are feeling tapped out after three years of being on their toes, always adapting to a shifting landscape that often pivots on a dime. When you factor in inflation, the cost of living, catching up on missed family activities and celebrations, or just general fatigue, it shouldn't be very surprising that people don't have the energy to even just pay attention to politics, let alone the energy to go out there and change the world. If you're somewhere between anger and exhaustion, you're not alone. And I wanted to figure out how we can overcome that, just not with a politician or with a mental health worker or one of your regular community activists. I wanted to go with a community leader, someone that counsels people all the time about dealing with that inner tumult and uncertainty. So John Borthwick graciously accepted that invitation to serve the role on this edition of the Guelph Politicast, and we will dive into how we handle the issues of the day, how we center ourselves in the maelstrom of issues coming at us every day, and how The Walking Dead and other post-apocalyptic stories didn't prepare us for a pandemic and post-pandemic world. We also talk about why we should embrace the adaptability of human beings, the struggle to listen and understand each other despite our differences, and why nostalgia is so attractive and so potentially damaging to progress as well. And finally, we will have a long conversation about recognizing privilege, Reverend Borthwick's 20 years in Guelph, and how the community has changed for the better and the worse in that time. So I caught up with Reverend John Borthwick earlier this week via Zoom. Okay, uh, John Borthwick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. 
Uh, well, it's a pleasure having you. It's, uh, and I'll, I'll say this to start off because uh, you you are a, a supporter of my work. Um, both uh, you you walk the walk and talk the talk, which I appreciate very much. Thank you. Yeah, um, worthy cause. You are you are my I, local news source. Oh, well, thank you. You are thank it. You. I'll take all this out later because I don't like to ban <laughs> myself too much. But right. uh, to, to start off with, you know, we're, we're approaching like the three year mark of the start of the pandemic. And, you know, how, how, how are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a good question. That's a loaded question. Um, yeah, yeah. Tired. Uh, exhausted. Um, yeah. All all those things. It's uh, it's been a long, long road to- road 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 to hoe i think is the expression but yeah it's been it's been hard work um having it in one's brain all the time um trying to navigate all the different changes um i'm well aware that as human beings we don't do well with constantly uncertain changing times and this has been quite a marathon for all of us um mm-hmm. and and it's still with us so and the impacts mm-hmm. of it i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of the impacts of it post if we're in a post world um yeah right. in in people how they're acting how they're behaving how they're feeling i i just see colleagues of mine and friends they're just tired exhausted mm. yeah. i mean that that's an interesting place to sort of start us off because um i mean i'm i'm a long time movie guy and you watch a movie and it's about it like a pandemic or like some disaster and at the end the disaster's over and everyone's like trying to get back to life as normal and it feels mm-hmm. that's not what happened in real life but like the disaster is ongoing it's just a kind of a different disaster and everyone's waiting for the credits to roll if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 like how do, how do you i'm a i'm a big uh I don't know why, but uh, I certainly dabble in the post-apocalyptic film and <laughs> television world, and, and even <laughs> literature. I guess um, you know how do you how do you end The Walking Dead? Mm. Um, you know whether you like zombies or not, it's not really about zombies. Um, but you know that kind of thing. Like how do you end eleven seasons of The Walking Dead? Basically, with uh, you know a little bit of a, a, a touch of like, hey, whew, we can breathe again, but with mm. a sense of oh no it's not actually over (laughs) so so yeah i mean i think we we wondered all the way along i was someone just going to announce one day that everything's okie dokie and it's all over and there probably will i mean there's already been talk in the news in the last little bit that there'll be news that there's no we're no longer at the certain level or threshold so that it's kind of over but i think it's the it's always that notion of you we've all had a collective experience and and it has changed us and and we won't we won't know all the impacts of that as you go forward for a long long time people will study it <laughs> generations yeah. will be like oh yeah look at how that impacted everybody you know kind of like um uh the generations that went through the first and second world wars you know how people have written about you know people who experienced trauma and loss at such a significant way um then came through a period of like let it all hang out and then experience financial collapse and then experience another global war and sort of talking about how if you're of a certain age today you were raised by people you were raised by tra- traumatized people who were raised by traumatized people who were raised by traumatized people right 
that's maybe why you're the way you are or kind of disconnected or have some issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the walking dead too. And I, I feel like that's sort of had an influence on, and maybe this is true to some people who've had a bad reaction to the things that happened in, in the pandemic too, that, you know, we were kind of, they kind of primed the pump, these stories that we're talking about, about like societal collapse, like something would happen and society would collapse and we'd all be on our own. But that's, I mean, there's no comparison between COVID-19 and a, a disease that turns you into zombies when you die. But, you know, th th there is this feeling, <laughs> obviously, that when when the storm would come, the the, you know, the proverbial storm, whatever form that took, we would all be on our own. And that's kind of not what happened, that society has trudged along in a familiar form even if it is like suffering the stresses we're seeing and 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 you know we, we haven't quite got back to normalcy as we're talking about but society is still whole and and that's Ooh. is almost an unexpected side effect of a global pandemic that we never thought about yeah yeah i mean I'm not sure how long you want to go on the on the take of uh, the walking <laughs> dead but it's a worthy it's a worthy adventure um I think my greatest learning from the pandemic around humanity was that I, uh, what I observed, what I experienced was human beings are so incredibly adaptable, um, uh, in a way resilient. Uh, you know, we take things as normal fairly quickly. It's kind of amazing how we do that. Um, things that we would have never done before now are just like, maybe before the pandemic you were using zoom i have no idea but mm. going on a zoom call regardless of your age is fairly normal whatever brand you use to be on kinds of things like this wearing masks you know every people have different opinions about all that but wearing masks have almost become commonplace uh you know you wouldn't be as it's not as odd anymore in that mm. regard mm -hmm. but i'm also aware of how much doing that is taken from us like from a from an overall um that that's where this exhaustion or malaise or uh fatigue or um or even a sense of um and there's there's actually research around this around um uh, this idea of uh, uh, risk habituation was the idea i discovered so it's this right. idea that as we navigate the pandemic or the crisis at any at the beginning over time we become greater risk takers because we're just tired of, we can't sustain for, as human beings, we can't sustain for a really, really long time the notion that there's a threat all the time. And so right. we start to take risks. We start to be less concerned with all the restrictions and stuff like that, but it still takes a lot from us. Um, I will also say though, and maybe, maybe this connects with The Walking Dead in a strange <laughs> way. Um, one of the downsides of the story of The Walking Dead and probably any post-apocalyptic stuff is there's always the sort of people that go sideways. Um, yeah. You know, essentially the story of the walking dead becomes, Oh, it's not, it's not the walking dead. We need to be afraid of it's li the living, right? That's, that's the ultimate theme. And, and the, um, you know, and, and who's going to, who's going to prevail? Will it be mm -hmm. the good? And then how do we define the good mm -hmm. in cultures? Um, so I would have said pre-pandemic that I had a lot of, um, I believed in humanity in a certain way. I, th I thought that we would act in a certain way if given a situation. And I think what kind of scared me a little bit was, oh, 
wow, no, not everybody will <laughs> do act in a way that I would have thought would be for the good, the common good or the collective good, or right. um, that's not the way we went for everybody. But as I sort of, you know, I, as I give a larger view of that, I also see how um, that still remains to be a very small percentage mm-hmm. of, of the overall population. And so, and it's just, and the conversation then becomes how large a voice do we do we give to that? And I'm not wanting to silence people. I think everybody has the right to have their opinions and the right to hold certain values and everything else and and be listened to and respected. It's just around um, how do we make sure everyone is safe and protected and and how do we, how do we navigate all that? And so while there was throughout the pandemic, while there's been a a, a voice that has been fairly strong and fairly outspoken a certain way, um, it's still been a smaller voice than the majority of people. Um, yeah. And that's been interesting to me, but I also realize in the same way of the walking dead that other people are the, are the threat <laughs> How someone else is going to respond. How right. Someone else is going to, because of their belief of their rights, their, their way of being, they're still a threat to other people. Um, and so that becomes a challenge as you try to navigate crises together. And even as how our systems navigate decision-making in those yeah. crises, like Canada has a very, a sense of itself and it defines itself in a certain way, but it becomes challenging when, how do we navigate together the way to go forward when we're trying to still hold out a sense of everybody has the right to have opinions and individuals are valued and, and things like that. How do you, how do you navigate that? Well, and you're, and the truth is you're never going to do it perfectly. And someone's always going to be upset with what you decide. And we get shocked to the system too. You know, we, unfortunately we sort of measure ourselves constantly against americans and in the early days of the pandemic uh they had a very bad reaction to sort of containing um containing the the virus and then uh but we see our own eruptions of of sort of people i don't want to i don't want to use pejoratives against people who took part in the freedom convoy but you know they are people who have very strong particular beliefs that are the opposite of let's say accepted orthodoxy and mm-hmm. we still kind of have to live next door to those people. And I, and you know, I I've had those, I've talked to a lot of people who would fall into the freedom category. And, and I admit it is hard to, um, to talk to them person to person mm-hmm. and without, you know, sinking into your own sort of orthodoxy and, and trying to combat them. Um, it it takes a little bit more maneuvering to sort of talk to them. I, I guess a little more. You have to think as you're talking so that you're not sinking in, t- so that it doesn't become a shouting match. You have to kind of. Right. There's more of a practice to to talking to people who believe in something the opposite of you, and I feel mm-hmm. that's sort of been a, a practice I've learned in mm-hmm. in the midst of all of this. Yeah, I think it's. I think we're constantly invited to have. Um, to expand our compassion for other people and uh, our empathy for other people. Um, seeing difference, not as something that we have to win over or, or conquer, but, but seeing difference as just the reality that we, we live in, but also um, maybe, maybe it speaks to boundaries, our own, our own personal boundaries, but also trying to navigate that. Like you say, we live in community. So it's mm. like, well, how do we how do we allow for a person to live out their life the way they want to live it, and how does how do we 
how do we get them to the place as well of of respecting our boundaries? So I know family systems that have had to navigate that, and it's been incredibly, incredibly challenging for people. Um, people have been put in situations that have been awful uh, decisions that people have had to make with regard to, I mean, it's not as simple as um, we're not coming to Christmas because my my sibling um, won't wear a mask or is uh, not, not vaccinated or something like that. It's bigger stuff like, um, you know, we're going to have a funeral, but we can only have a funeral for 10 people uh, can mm. attend who gets to be the 10 and how are we supposed to make decisions that way? Um, and, and navigating really hard things that you wouldn't have wanted to have to navigate. Um, but sometimes those are the choices. I mean, that's what crises put us in and, and the way the, maybe the learning from all that is how do we widen our compassion for other people? Um, the hard part is, we're a society, I think, defined by at this time in our lives, defined by the short, um, yeah, a quick sort of response way of being in life. We don't, we like, it's beautiful what you said, you know, I've been encouraged by my experience to sort of think harder about, about how I engage in normal human interaction of conversation and communication. Right. Um, I've had to think deeper about how I talk about things and not just be reactive and i think that's a big part of i think that's a big part of how we widen um our compassion for each other but also um i think it's it's about how we get to that space of hope as well like how do we how do we see us thriving as as people in spite of the because this isn't the end of crises that we'll experience and in the past right. there was many crises that other people had to experience uh, the image i used at one point around people making individual choices is how one's individual choice can impact a community. So this this might not be the best image, but this is the image I used. It was, uh, you know, London, uh, England during the Blitz. Mm. Uh, I'm a person who likes to read. Um, mm. I like to have my curtains open while I read. And so I, <laughs> and I like to read at night. So I'm going to open my curtains, turn on all my lights and read my book because that's what I believe I should have the right to do. And you know what? Absolutely, as an individual, you have absolutely that right. No one's going to tell me to close my curtains or turn off my lights. Well, okay, give it a whirl. <laughs> um, and then the bombers come over and, hey, thanks. Thanks for that big beacon of light there. Appreciate that. Now, what's going to happen? The funny part is, not really funny, the tragic part is your house is probably not going to get bombed. Yeah. But a whole bunch of other people's houses are going to get bombed. And so is there a way of seeing the the good of the whole community and how our decision making can impact everybody else um i think that's a big part of how we live together as people um and and navigate the difficult things the crises that'll come and i find that your analogy is interesting because i i haven't used it specifically but it has gotten to something i i when, when i'm going to these sort of anti-mandate events although we haven't had one in town for a while is I, I I try to get to that point in that conversation where they're talking about my rights, my this is what I want to do, this is what I believe, and I should be allowed to believe, and I shouldn't have to wear a mask, I shouldn't have to get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And what I say to them to try and get like to try and burst them out of their bubble is to say, well, what about your responsibilities? You keep talking about my rights, but what about my responsibilities? And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I just thinking over thinking it over in my head about some of these interactions i don't think i've ever gotten a good answer to that because it's it's a it's a it's a i mean it's not an aha moment but it is i don't it is something i don't think 
they get asked by people because mm-hmm. it becomes that fight, which is why I don't want to have a fight with them. I want to know mm-hmm. sort of, yeah, you are talking about your rights. And yes, maybe you should have the right to not walk into a grocery store wearing a mask if you don't want to. But what about the responsibility? Because you're not wearing a mask puts other people in danger. And how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's also, um, as you as you well know, I, I, I'm a leader of a faith community uh, in town. And it was fascinating to me, um, the response on the first Sunday before the Monday. Mm. So things were brewing the mm-hmm. first day before the Monday in that March of 2020. And I, as a faith, faith leader, was sort of wondering, do we actually gather for our churchy thing on a Sunday morning? Do we do it? Decided to do it. We decided to gather. And there is a video on YouTube of me doing the silly thing that many people probably did. It looks like we're going to have to shut down and be a couple weeks, you know, no big deal. Um, anyways, <laughs> I said, you know, I remember saying to this congregation that had gathered, it was a smaller group than normal. And I said um, basically two things. One, um, we haven't made the decision to shut down yet, but my my best guess is Monday is coming and we will be shutting down. And I made, mm. made the sort of commentary of a couple weeks or whatever. The second thing I said was one of the reasons we have to shut down, I think, is because you're here. You're here today. Mm-hmm. And I said that as kindly as I could, but also kind of directly to the community I serve. The fact that you would still turn up when I'm feeling already a sense of the sky is falling and you are here. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> um, there was that, a little bit of that. <laughs> and my community sort of understands where maybe I was coming from. Some do at least. But then what I got as feedback on social media that day from people who knew that we were open, mm-hmm. it was fascinating. There were people in the community who were like, how, what were, what were you thinking? How irresponsible, how bad, blah. And it was like, wow, okay. And so my learning throughout the pandemic as a leader, because one of the things I, I said to some people was, if this was just me, mm. then I would now na- I would try to I would just navigate it as best I could based on whatever my bosses or somebody was telling me. But I had this responsibility of a whole group of people, but I also felt the weight of a community that's watching that mm. doesn't necessarily um have anything to do with this faith community, but their awareness that a group of people might be gathering in a building every week, even though it won't necessarily impact them directly, maybe still caused a level of anxiety. So my language often with our leadership was, we have a responsibility as a community, even though we can, even though they, you know, they, they occasionally gave, as you well know, the government occasionally gave special exemptions to churches or faith communities. I said, Mm -hmm. you know what, we still have a responsibility to not just for the sake of the rest of the community. And so sometimes those are the things you need to do as leaders to sort of say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna let go of the things that are important to us because we've there, there's ways of adapting for the sake of not um, distressing or causing more anxiety, more stress uh, for the culture at large, and also to not spread or or cause more challenges. No, like as a leader, I didn't want anybody, I didn't want to be the reason why there was a super spreader event at, at an event I was a part of. I didn't want to bring. <laughs> that's not well, a thing you want to bear or or to lose one of the people that goes to 
goes to church here. That would be tragic if it knew that it was they caught it here. That would be so sad, right? Right. At the same time, though, I mean, faith communities became lightning rods for that, and there was, you know, you know that some churches said, "Well, we don't, we're going to open anyway, regardless of what." you know, uh, the government thinks and, you know, we're going to put on a big show of of being open when the government says we shouldn't open and, you know, which almost seems antithetical to some of the things you're talking about, although you're essentially in the same business. <laughs> yeah, you might find that the faith community doesn't always see eye to eye with each other. <laughs> um, that's one of the realities the world should know. Uh, yeah, even within the same brands, uh, mm. we have, the, I don't know if people have seen that or witnessed it before but we have diversity and that's that's to be celebrated um but it also is it can be extremely challenging um mm -hmm. especially because because unfortunately that's what people remember mm -hmm. um uh, they remember the smaller again smaller scale groups of churches that decided that this was an attack on their right that again just sort of what you said their right superseded any sort of obligation to the wider community responsibility to the wider community like my little gathering of you know anywhere from 50 to 100 people on a sunday morning was nothing in comparison to i don't know some grand events that could have been happening throughout the community in some way you know it was a pretty small group and we did all sorts of we have a massive barn of a building so we did things like massive social distancing and all the stuff when we were allowed to come back but we took we didn't come back for over a year or more i think it was quite quite a time we just decided no nope, we're just going to keep doing it this way um so we didn't do the comeback and then get locked down again and then come back again um but we were small potatoes in comparison to some other spaces but we still right. felt that obligation to the community the wider community the responsibility of the wider community to do things right so when we started broadcasting live on youtube I had no suspicion that anybody's really watching except for our own people. But I also <laughs> said, I don't want any video to be shown where we're doing something inappropriate. Mm. So, so if, if there's going to be people singing, they're going to wear a mask. I, I still wear a mask on a Sunday morning when we're doing singing or stuff like that. I take it off to speak. Um, but people are quite far away from me. Um, <laughs> but again, I just, again, I feel there's a bit of a responsibility to, do I personally feel unsafe? Probably not 100%, but I also know there's at least two or three people. It's not a lot because it's changed, but at least two or three people in my congregation who continue to wear masks. And by wearing a mask, I'm still sort of modeling that this is a space that's it's okay to wear a mask still. You know, If someone's like, why are you wearing that mask? It's like, well, the guy up there is still wearing a mask, so maybe maybe we should. Yeah. yeah. And we're still doing all those things. You know, it, that does strike me one of the things I, I think about a lot these days, because I, in most indoor settings, unless I'm sitting far away from someone else, I will put, like, there are times when I, if I'm the only one covering a council meeting and I'm sitting at the media table alone, I won't wear my mask, because I'm the right. only one not there. But yeah. in most indoor settings, I will. And it's because my mom, who lives with me, has comorbidities potential comorbidities if she, you know she she's she had gotten covid and fortunately it was relatively mild but um mm. if she got a really bad case uh she has potential comorbidities i have a three-month-old nephew who i see a lot and of course he can't get vaccinated for another several months yeah so you know i i wear a mask in my own life but i also go into places where i see 
one person masks or two people masks. And I'm like, come on, guys. It's, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. realize I realize I wear gla- glasses, so I know masking isn't great, especially in winter. But, right. you know, can can we try harder? And at the same time, again, you don't want to start a fight. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe, I don't know. And maybe this gets into something um, you can share, but in terms of like the general anxieties of what people are feeling these days, and I imagine you hear about that quite a bit being a minister, you know, hmm. how do you, how do you advise people when they come to you and like, oh, Reverend John, I just can't take it anymore. I'm feeling the stress, you know, like when's this pandemic going to be over? It's like, you know, the, bills are out of control or whatever. And, you know, yeah. it, we're all fighting each other. I can't watch TV anymore. They're getting mad or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it, it, it feels like the stresses compound. And so, you know, when people come to you and say, what do I do next? What do you say? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's easy. Yeah. I got that. <laughs> I didn't think uh, it'd be easy, but I, I, I felt it had to be asked. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, we've we've lingered a lot on you know masks and restrictions and different opinions and stuff like that. Um, I think just the the overall crisis that we've all been a part of for a long period of time that that isn't a hundred percent over yet or is evolving all the time. Uh, the reality that there may be more of these kind of events in the future. Um, just the overall weight that I think people carry in general um, that gets that gets added by you know, an economy that's, that's struggling, um, the sort of vitriol between different polarized sides that people take in on a regular basis, just life itself is, is incredibly hard. Um, what I try to do <laughs> as best I can, um, is to sort of lean into, um, for myself, for the good of myself and for anyone I connect with, uh, is to lean into a sense of, you know, the, uh, you know, everybody has a sense of wanting to be seen, wanting to be acknowledged that what they're going through for them is real, um, that they're being heard. Uh, so I, I try a lot of, of that. I, I try to also sort of expand it to you're not alone in what you're experiencing. Mm. Uh, others are experiencing the same kind of things. Maybe it's different. I often hear the feedback of, well, you know, mine's not as bad as someone so else, or, you know, they've got it worse off than me. It's not like I've done this or that or the other. And what I always try to help people to see is all of that is relative. I mean, w- some of us carry immense privilege. Uh, I know that I recognize myself, a white male cisgendered guy who's resourced and is a part of a Christian community. I've, I'm ticking too, way too many boxes. Um, so <laughs> how I navigate the world is a much different way than many people. Uh, the majority of humanity navigate the world. But I do try to put that in perspective for folks who who want to diminish their own experience by saying, you know, someone else has it worse off. It's all relative how it is. Now, there's some people need some perspective taking on on what is a crisis, you know, if mm. I can't get to my summer home in Vienna, um, you know, this year, is that, is that a massive crisis? I, I don't know. And I'm just, I'm just kidding. I don't know anybody who has a summer home in Vienna. I don't have one myself. Um, <laughs> so it's sort of doing that. And then it's, and then it's working on that stuff of, you know, the, the self-compassion, being kind to yourself, um, 
accepting that you're not going to, you, you are sometimes going to act badly. You're going to get triggered. You're going to get into fights with folks that you don't really want to be in conflict with. Ideally, you'd like to be in better relationships with people. Um, you'd like to get through this life in a harmonious way. <laughs> I think we generally would. You know, yeah. sometimes we lose it on on our social media platform because somebody said something. And as much as we say to somebody, don't engage, don't fight, don't do it. You know, you you get lost and you think, I just need to tell this person. It's like, well, <laughs> how's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> so so I think that, I mean, that those are sort of the, some of the things that I encourage people. I try to encourage people to find some very good social supports. Not everybody has those, but if you can find one or two people that you trust and who care about you, you know, to share how you're feeling and you can be that safe place for them. That can be a big part of it. Um, I mean, I am a part of a faith community. So one of the things that we try to map out in a, in a way is we talk about the bigger picture, the bigger story. Uh, you know, we've been, a, we've, we've been living this human life for thousands of years. Uh, funny enough, it's never been easy in spite of some people's opinions that it is. And, and funny enough, all the um, all the narratives that are out there, all the stories that we tell and keep repeating over time and time again, are still true in all the different spaces and places. They're just packaged differently. So mm -hmm. I'm a part of a community that might tell a specific thing that's grounded in a in a thing called the Bible, but but they're you know Star Wars tells the same story. Um, mm. Star Trek is is trying to tell a story in its own way as well about how human beings interact. The Walking Dead is telling the same kind of story. The Odyssey told the same story. The Iliad told the same story. These are the stories that have been around forever. Why? Mm. Because these are the grounding stories of humanity. Is it about love wins? Love conquers everything. Um, is it about hope? You know, what does hope look like for people? Is it about belief in in humanities somehow? resilience or ability to overcome the great challenges of the world. Those are all the things like that's what we're constantly telling each other. And so if you can connect to that as the bigger source of things, it takes you out of the sense of like dread, <laughs> the existential dread of living day, day to day, the worry, the fear, the anxiety of everything is crushing in. This is the first time any human has ever had this experience. Sometimes right. we can get, if we can hook into the bigger picture of, you know, what's my part in this? What, what could, how can I navigate the world differently? Just like you had said earlier, Adam, when you said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think harder about how I engage with people, um, how I have better conversations that don't end in, you know, us just being on different sides of a, of a fence or whatever. Mm. Those are, those are the big things I think. Mm -hmm. Because I just, there's this feeling and this kind of ties into something I wanted to ask you specifically, specifically about. Speaking of trying to say things, um, <laughs> you know, your your church is on. I think we could all agree, no matter what the official lines are, sort of at the outer edge of downtown. So you kind of have an unusual perch. You're not in the core, but you're still kind of technically part of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, no matter what the issue is, whether it's issues around poverty and homelessness, or mental health, or addiction, or fighting the pandemic, or creating social equity we we keep wanting i guess we keep wanting someone to come out and give us an instruction sheet about how to achieve these goals and there's no such thing and i feel that too and i guess you know just from your example and in the ways you interact with community the way you, you offer leadership and fellowship to a community i guess how do we 
not sure how to phrase the question, but like, how do we like sort of act on our own behalf to sort of become, you know, work towards solutions in our own community, no matter what the problem is. Um, especially in, you know, a day and age where, you know, there are no easy answers. We, you know, we, we look to the city of Guelph to come up with solutions to homelessness downtown while the city of Guelph doesn't have a social services department. So then what do you do? It's, you know, we have, it, it feels like problems are bigger than solutions and we keep waiting for someone to hand us this list of solutions that we can start checking off those boxes. And I guess, how do we operate in a world where we have that expectation, but it's we're not getting that sheet we have to come up with our own sheets i guess <laughs> that's a profoundly deep question um <laughs> wow i think the tr the truth that we live in today is that um everything is everything feels um multi-layered and complex and uh, and and hard everything mm. that we try to do I think the journey for all of us is around working towards is it a is it eliminating bias or or is it a, is it about reducing our own self-interest is it about um I guess it's a, I how would I say it I think it's about maybe doing doing recognizing that it's hard work and and agreeing to sit with the difficulty of that work mm. so so in a world that wants immediate solutions from elected officials, um, it's almost like saying, if someone's telling you there's an immediate solution, they're probably lying. Mm. And they, or they don't mean to. They're probably, they, they've probably believed a lie that that is going to not bear out to be true. Right. Um, if someone says, if we do this, this will change everything then and they've somehow believed that 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 is not going to end up well it's going to impact because we live in this this multiple complex community that we live in every action is going to have a reaction from someone else you can't please anybody all the time um and so maybe i mean it's a, it's around the work of um doing the hard work together to find the root causes of all the things that are existing in our society, recognizing that takes time and recognizing that in the journey, we may have to give up or not have, or, or that it's going to cost us or like that. It's going to have a personal impact on all of us. Mm. I, I think sometimes the navigation around big societal issues are, how can we fix it so I don't have to see it? How can we address it so that it's no longer something that has to take up space in my mind anymore? Right. That I can feel better. I mean, it, it ticks all the boxes. Sorry. It ticks all the boxes of privilege. Uh, it ticks all the boxes of white supremacy, all the, all the stuff. I, I have heard forever people say, when can we stop talking about this? Right. Insert name here. Right. So in a faith community, it might be, when can we stop talking about the challenges and the tragedies and the horrors of residential schools? Well, never. <laughs> well, that's not good. No, no, it's not. Good. It makes me feel sad or uncomfortable. Yes. Yes, it does. And, and so it should. But when is it over? Well, it's not. 
Yeah. And we're not, and, and I mean, back to what we said way earlier, when the pandemic was on and it kept, and it kept lasting for years and, and there's still a, a vibe of, is it really over or what are we dealing with? Um, or is the world changed forever and it'll never be the same? That's probably a greater truth. Um, it's this idea of you need to be in that discomfort. It is not a comfortable place to be. Um, and so, you know, you give a mandate to, I mean, I'm not a politician, but you give a mandate of four years, fix it. Right. Good luck to these poor, poor, poor folks. Cause they're also being pushed and pulled by all the things that every other human is. Um, and then they've only got a four year mandate and they might get replaced and someone else might come in and tear everything else because they've got another idea of how to make it all better. Um, I think these big systemic issues are, are things that we must constantly work on together around some agreed principles of, of what is, um, maybe it relates to that greater good comment, you know, like what's the greater good for all. And do we recognize that that's going to cost us, whether it's about, it's going to cost us in tax dollars, like all of us are going to have to pitch in, whether it's going to cost us in the sense of, um, yeah, you don't get to just forget about it. You don't get to, you don't have to, you will have to walk by it still. You will have to see it. You will have to deal with it. There will be days when it'll be disruptive and upsetting. Yeah, that's just the reality of the way it is. Um, mm. But maybe over time, we can actually work towards, you know, addressing some of these massive systemic things. Because again, all in the theme we've been talking about, we get tired. Mm. You know, we get all sorts of excitement. We we get protests. We march in parades. We write the letters. We bang the pots. I don't know anybody who's banging pots for nurses and doctors anymore. Like, are they still doing that? You know, or mm -hmm. we get tired and we think we're going to end this. Are we, is that still a thing a year later? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's an everyday thing for some people. You just get to pay attention to it. And I'm not picking on you, Adam, but you know, when <laughs> the media brings it to our attention, we again go, Oh, is that still a thing? Yeah, it, it is still a thing. It's still a reality. And for some people it's an everyday every minute of the day reality and some people don't have to experience that and then when they do they want it fixed and they want it fixed now and that's just not that's just not the reality uh, you know if i was to connect it to something bigger in in the world that i hang out with all the time it's that long view of what hope is so one mm -hmm. might say well where's the hope that will ever end poverty you know we throw that down well the whole a, a wider longer view of hope is is connected to things like um you know i don't want to get too religious on your on your podcast but you no, know no. In, in the long it's a book uh in the long story of the bible there's a story about it's and it's a story there's a story about the people of israel were in egypt and they cried out for help they were living in slavery um and then god heard their cry and they were delivered from slavery if you map the story chronologically the cries from slavery in Egypt were heard by God, wonderful, but it took God a long time to answer the call and to release the people from slavery. Hundreds mm -hmm. of years, hundreds mm -hmm. of years. That story becomes the foundational story for, for Judaism. You'll hear a Jewish person today say, I was a slave in Egypt and God heard my cry and God delivered me. They were nowhere near slavery. In Egypt. They're living in 2023. But this foundational story becomes a story that demonstrates what a long view of hope is. Hope 
if you're the one crying out to be saved, to be released, to be freed, hope is um, maybe not for me, maybe not today, but someday, someday this will be true. But in the moment, I'm going to have to live with the reality that I'm living in. Um, that's the long view of hope. The long view of hope is um, the Jesuits up on um, uh, the Ignatius Center, right? They have a project. Their project is to build, is to plant a forest. It's a 500-year project. What what government, what social service agency is creating a 500-year project as a way of, you know, advertising to the community? We're going to address poverty and we're going to end it in 500 years. <laughs> um, no one's buying that. Um, right. But those are the longer views of hope that someday we will get to a place where certain things don't exist the same way. And that's true of all social movements and things like that. The women that strove for the vote, um, the people that have been striving for um, human rights and and rights, uh, racial equality. I mean, is that over yet? I Sadly, no, right? Um, and so it's a continued walk in that same direction that that people still have to do a lot of heavy lifting to to try and see that these things can change but it it takes time and it doesn't and we can't get tired of doing the work i think we have to keep doing the work and holding people's feet to the fire who have the ability to make the changes and the differences but from the gen pop like the regular population who may have more resources than others there's got to be some give and take it can't just be you know fix it and make right. it better because that, that's not how this works. Um, and, you know, to your question earlier, if someone says, I don't, like, I feel overwhelmed and stressed and everything, me, and and they're basically, if they come to me and say, can you fix it? It's like, oh, I can't. Yeah. I can't even fix myself. <laughs> you know, we're all struggling. <laughs> and all, all I can do is believe that at some point in the future, I won't feel this way and just live in the moment of today to try and feel as good as I can. And, and again, I say that with a lot of privilege and everything else, but right. Um, but just sort of a sense of, you know, how, how can we be good citizens? How can we try to be concerned about the needs of my neighbor or my friend or others in the community and put those before my own needs mo most of the time? Because mm -hmm. um, because truthfully, in our culture, in our in our Canadian society today, there are certain things that if we made specific choices and and voted towards those directions and encouraged you know from a corporate perspective or a governmental perspective if we collectively said this is what we truly want um we could transform this whole country hmm. and, and probably the world but the collective will to do that is not always there because of self-interest and bias and our own needs and our own wants and our own rights and all those kinds of things yeah oof no, no, that was that was all good. I I I found that a lot, that very valuable. Um, but I I do kind of want to wrap up our time. Uh, yeah. But I I do want to look at it this way because you and I have something in common, and we both kind of laid down permanent roots in Guelph twenty years ago. Mm. Um. So congrats, <laughs> Adam. Well, congratulations to you too. But you know, I I see it a lot on certain Facebook groups. You know, these like nostalgia groups. Like remember back in Guelph and back in ye olden days. And um, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who in, in town who do measure sort of their, I, I guess what, the, how they feel about things, how things currently sit in Guelph by how 
far back in time they go. And we've had 20 years here, so maybe we get a little bit more perspective. But I want to ask you, you know, do you feel like our community has changed a lot in these last 20 years? And has that been uh, a positive change? Right. Um, so, yeah, so congrats on the 20. We've both been here for a couple of decades. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Uh, I guess uh, in a scattered kind of way, I would I would throw out these kind of thoughts. What I've noticed, and it's and it's increased in the in the from the fall to now, because I serve a community that can easily flip to nostalgia. Mm. So um, the community I serve often reflects on you know when it was like this and when these things happened because as as the institutional church um is declining and it is there's that's the reality people turn to nostalgia why do we do that because we want to be comforted we want to feel better we want to remember not in a not in a very um deep way we want to believe that things were better in the past and wasn't it great it it wouldn't take too much scratching uh, the surface to discover oh there were a lot of problems and it wasn't that great. It might've been great for a few people, but it wasn't the greatest for a whole bunch of other people, including some of the people who nostalgically look back on how great it all was. Right. So nostalgia is something that we want to comfort ourselves with. And I think that's one of the impacts of a long, chronically stressful time we've all been experiencing. We want to somehow fix it, make it better. And so we look to the past and say, things were better then. Um, Things were easier then. I think two things about Guelph. What I've discovered from being in Guelph in the early days, and I still try not to not to drink the Kool-Aid fully, is that Guelph views itself in a collect, collectively as a community, Guelph views itself in a very unique way across this country. I, I haven't had the privilege of living in other cities um, beyond Ontario. Let's even say beyond the GTA or the GTHA. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had that opportunity, so I have no idea. But I can imagine, again, I'm always about the wider picture. I can imagine that some people in the West Coast, the East Coast, somewhere in the middle, hey, no offense to anyone from Saskatchewan, but someone from Saskatoon, who apparently in that in that area, they've they've worked towards getting to a place of ending homelessness. But anyways, they might think that their city is pretty pretty something special too. But Guelph, oh my goodness, everything in the world, that happens somehow has a Guelph connection. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've noticed it. Yeah. I notice it all the time in 20 years. It's like, well, that person who won this award, did this thing, had this thing happen, you know, you know, they one time were, I don't know, went through the Arboretum or <laughs> they one time they went to the Courtright Waterfowl Park and that's where they got their, their stuff. Anywho. So there's that. And there's this sense that somehow Guelph is different. Now, to, to sort of end this this sort of thing of, of random <laughs> thoughts, it is kind of different, I think, in some ways. It also has some incredible gifts. And one of the gifts that I've noticed in 20 years is is the fact that people like you and I and, and many, many others stick around mm. for an extended period of time. There's a there's a shadow side to that, but let me just let me just celebrate one sense and then I'll give a touch of the shadow side. The celebration side is wow, collectively in this community. We have actually changed the dials. We've we've made a few ticks. We've made some difference because we've had leaders that have been around the same tables for years and years and years that have actually made a significant difference. And, and it all relates to relationships. So they've known each other. 
they they've sat at tables together they've been at dinners together i mean this is the this is the elite the leadership elite that sits around as right. executive directors and people in government and people just in the community that are known they they've they, they've gotten to know each other there's a mutual respect for each other there's a desire to see some of the things change in this community for the better for all um they've they've embraced things around social change and making a difference for all i would say on the whole um some have had the some uh, some of their minds have been transformed over time some people came in with certain kinds of agendas and wow they've made a different shift for the benefit of all um right. so i think that's a wonderful thing about guelph the fact of guelph is you walk into this community as a newbie you will discover that these people have been sitting around the same tables talking about the similar things and trying to get to make collective action that makes a difference in the lives of the citizens of this community, not just for some special people, but for all. The fact that we have, you know, very large agencies working together on, you know, the Home for Good campaign, Guelph Community Foundation, United Way. There are other communities where those places aren't really, aren't really getting together. Because again, as humans, we silo pretty easily it's very easy just to stay in your silo and you got enough problems of your own. But wow, <laughs> there is this sense of community that happens on a regular basis and it's around leaders who and decision makers who can actually do things and take risks. The shadow side of that is that the same people have been around the table in my day. Um, some people have been around here for 20 years and some people were here before me. Mm. The shadow side of that is sometimes we need new voices. Mm -hmm. I would say that occasionally we are seeing some new voices come to town, which is great um, to give us a different perspective because it's very easy. I, again, I serve a community, um, a good percentage of my community. Um, they are so Guelph. Like these <laughs> people, some of their names are in the walls of the building that I, that I'm currently in that has mm -hmm. existed since 1850s and started way back in 1828. That's a bit scary. <laughs> so, they've been around a long time. And so some newbie who turned up from, you know, moved out of uh, Mississauga, shout out to Hazel McCallion, RIP. Um, but from somebody who moved from Mississauga to Guelph, I mean, wow, like, are you really Guelph? I feel if I stick around, I might get that same cred. I don't think right. so. I might right, get a little right. bit of it. But we do need to make space. And I and the good thing I am seeing, I have seen in the last little while is that some people are stepping aside or moving on to allow space for new voices to come to the fore to to share some things so i have a lot of hope for guelph it's uh it's an amazing place in so many ways um yeah and i'm i'm, I'm certainly glad to have been a part of it in some way and try to shake the tree where i can um <laughs> my platform gives me some spaces that i get to i mean this, this community has been very generous to allow me to walk into spaces that there's many times when I sit in spaces and think, why am I at this table? I don't belong here. Like, mm. it's weird. Um, but I accept the invitation. And then if I can use my voice to try and make a difference for others, that's often been my perspective. If I can raise my voice and create space, because I know I bear a lot of this privilege, um, if I can open the door and say, I think we need to listen to this voice, or have you know, have you met this person? It's very much that kind of community. Um but there can be a shadow side to that where if you rub up against the wrong group or power group, 
uh, you might not get as much voice as, as you should have at the table. Just that, that's again, where we have to work on that bias and self-interest and all those things. Well, I mean, that's a great place to leave it on and, you know, for the, for our interview and for, hopefully for this next uh, course of uh, podcasts I'm producing. But uh, for today, I just got to say, uh, Reverend John, uh, I've, I've loved our chat and uh, I hope it, it was valuable to everyone who listens to. So thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Adam. I love your platform and I appreciate you uh, uh, inviting me into this space. So great. Thank, thank you. Cheers. And once again, that was John Borthwick. If you are in need of some spiritual guidance, you can find Reverend Borthwick at the pulpit every Sunday morning at St. Andrews on Norfolk Street. And you can also still watch the broadcast version on their YouTube page. Just look for at St. Andrews Guelph on YouTube. If, however, you're looking for something a little more secular, you can always catch up with Reverend Borthwick on his Twitter page at J Borthwick. That's J-B-O-R-T-H-W-I-K. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will... See you next time.